So verse 18 says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all, not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labour for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Well, Paul writes this letter to a church, we've said it on each of the afternoons, a church very much like every other church. We're a church here this afternoon. We're a mixed bag, aren't we? As we look around, we come from different backgrounds, different experiences, uh, different ages, different parts of the country, different parts of the world. Uh, and yet the church that Paul writes to uh, has one cohesive message which he's sending to them. Uh, and in that way, it speaks to them because they were diverse in the same way as we are. And it continues uh, to speak to us. We're coming to this particular section. And I think one of this particular part, it just maybe, you know, I could probably be accused of saying this almost every week. But perhaps one of the most important parts of the letter, perhaps even this captures the very heart of what Paul is trying to say or what he's seeking to declare in all of his letters. He's wanting us to understand this. It's got a flavor that, that runs through so much of the rest of his writing. So much, therefore, of the rest of what God has to say to us as New Testament followers of Jesus. He was... Um, well, he has become iconic. Died at 24 in 1955 from a car crash, driving a Porsche Spider. Uh, a car travelled on the probably probably travelling on the wrong side of the road, took him out. And uh, although there was all sorts of talk that he was speeding at the time, the likelihood now, by further investigation, is that he probably wasn't. Those of you who are aware of it will know that we're talking about James Dean. James Dean appeared actually in six films, bit parts in three, and leading roles, major parts, in three other films, East of Eden, Rebel Without a Cause, and Giant. He has gone down as one of the icons of the 1950s uh, and the upsurge of the shift from post-war austerity to freedom and liberty that opened the doors 
for uh, the liberty of the 60s and the 70s. James Dean was one of those icons of that time. It's remarkable, isn't it, that for somebody who lived such a short life, he has had such a powerful impact on our society. Somebody has said that James Dean has become immortal. (laughs) Well, that's interesting. The Eagles sang a song. Uh, In fact, they they entitled it James Dean. One of the lines that uh, it closes with, it repeats with the, the, the line, too fast to live, too young to die. That kind of captured the idea of James Dean's life. But at the same time, that has captured the idea of generations since, hasn't it? Too fast to live, too young to die. It has been said about a repeated number of cultural icons. David, um, uh, Mark Boland for one, it was said about him. Too fast to live, too young to die. Uh, We were going to show a short video. At the end of it, snowboarding video, at the end of it, it comes up with too fast to live, too young to die. It raises the question, doesn't it, in the life that we live, what is life all about? That phrase, I think, captures the essence, the heart of what many people are striving for. And it's this. I want to live a life which is filled with worth. I want to live a life which is satisfying. I want to live a life which isn't marked by slowly, slowly dying out, fizzling out. You know, I want to live a life which is there, it's massive, it's huge, it's incredible. It's worthwhile, it's exciting, and then if I go out with a bang, that's fine. And exactly, with exactly the same motive, there are people who are living their lives not wanting to live it on the edge, not wanting to live it at the extreme, just wanting to continue to live and to live and to live with exactly the same desire. I want to live a life of worth. I want to live a life of value. You know, at the end of my life, I want to be able to say, yeah, that was a good life. Because we have in our minds, don't we? We have in our minds, to a greater or lesser extent, that I have to find a way to to pack into my life to get into my life, a life that is worthwhile. Something of worth. I want to pack it in. I want to make the most of it. You only live once. All of those kind of phrases that we have bandied around. What does Paul have to say about this? What does the New Testament have to say about this? And therefore... What does God have to say about this? Is this the way we should be approaching our lives? Well, certainly, nobody could accuse Paul of living a life that wasn't filled with worth. (laughs) 
I mean, his life, when he recounts his life and the events of his life to the church at Corinth, nobody could accuse Paul of living a life which was, you know, just tucked away in a corner, slightly boring, not really getting out there and making something of it. He recounts this whole list of the things that have gone on for him in his life. He's been shipwrecked, he's been beaten, he's been put in prison, he's been stoned, he's been almost killed. And he gives this whole list of all of the different things that he's lived in his life. That is a remarkable change. Because what he says is, I have lived all of those things, all of those things have gone, in, gone on in my life in these past few years since I became a follower of Jesus. Now before that, I lived life to the max as well. We know that from the account in the book of Acts, where Paul was right at the forefront of leading the opposition to those early followers of Jesus. This historical figure, the Apostle Paul, this uh, Paul of Tarsus, this uh, well-known character from history, he was a man who was absolutely committed to wiping out Christianity. He would have been considered, in legal terms today, an accessory to murder. He was there alongside those who stoned Stephen, he encouraged it. In fact, there is every indication as the senior legal and religious representative at the time that he probably gave uh, legitimacy to that stoning. By laying the clothes at his feet, he was legitimizing that stoning, giving it authority. He was saying it is okay for you to stone this man as being a follower of Jesus. He then... Uh, Having been traveling around, it then goes on to say that he then went to travel to other parts of, uh, of the area to root out Christians uh, and to cause disruption to get them thrown into prison uh, and probably uh, seeking their death. He was a man of incredible activity. He lived his life. And now he's in prison. He's in a Roman prison, he's been arrested, and he's writing a letter now to the Philippine church. Now, at that point, we need to understand what Paul is facing. Yes, he's a Roman citizen. Uh, the tradition has it that uh, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Paul, two well-known characters from the New Testament, the Apostle Peter, tradition has, was crucified upside down. Tradition has that he said that he didn't want to uh, be crucified in the same way as Jesus had been crucified, so please crucify me upside down. Uh, Paul, on the other hand, who was also killed for his faith, was not crucified. He was beheaded. The reason for that was that he was a Roman citizen, and Roman citizens could not be crucified. Under Nero's rule, huge numbers of Christians were crucified. A huge number of Christians were crucified in the Roman uh, arenas, uh, and certainly in the Colosseum there were Christians who were crucified and actually crucified alive and then set on fire uh, to be torches for the games. So that, that's the kind of character that Nero was, and, and um, Peter uh, experienced death by crucifixion. Paul experienced death by 
uh, beheading as a Roman citizen. We're talking here, therefore, about somebody who is... We're not playing games here. Where Paul is talking about, you know, I, I, I'm in prison, but it's all going to be... It's all going to be okay, and it's, I love you, and you love me, and it's all going to be fine. This is real life. This is serious stuff. He was genuinely, really facing death by beheading. It, it's likely that he wasn't at the end of this particular prison sentence, but rather a second prison sentence. The reality was that Paul was facing death. That brings into context, doesn't it? That's kind of look back on life. Have you ever had one of those life flashes by moments? Have you been in an accident or have you been facing some sort of medical procedure or what, whatever it might be? And life kind of flashes you by and you think, you know, what, what's the sum of my life? What's it all about? Paul, looking back over your life, what's your life been about There's been a massive shift that's taken place from being somebody totally committed and opposed to Jesus uh, and all of his followers to somebody who's now so committed to being a follower and disciple and proclaimer of Jesus that your life has changed beyond recognition. You've gone through everything. Is that the sum of your life? Is that what it is all about? Let's have a look at what Paul says. Because we can see as we open this up how Paul is wanting to explain his perspective on life. And therefore, how we can be challenged, encouraged, shifted in our thinking as we see what does this mean for us today. So Paul says, uh, I know that through your prayers, in verse 19, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ... This will turn out for my deliverance. This will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. But that, uh, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body. We'll leave it there, we'll stop it there. He's saying, I'm convinced that I will be delivered. I'm convinced that as I move forward through this process uh, of the legal process potentially ending in execution, uh, I am also confident, I am looking to a point where ashamed can mean two things. It can mean that I won't, if you like, fall apart. I don't think that's what Paul's meaning here. I think what he's meaning is, I will be vindicated. It will become clear that when faced with this, that at some point it will become clear that it is right what I am declaring. That's what he's he's got that confidence. I am looking to be delivered. I am looking to not be ashamed, but rather to be vindicated. That's a big claim that he's making, isn't it? It's a huge claim. Doesn't it strike back into our thinking of the previous section where Paul is saying, I am confident in the day of Christ. 
There is a day of Christ coming when Jesus will be revealed. And I am confident that that day shapes my thinking now. I'm confident that he lives. I am confident that he has his hand on me in this situation. And therefore, I can be confident that I will be delivered. I will be liberated. I will not be ashamed. So he's, he's got that confidence that he has. And then he goes on to say, um, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether in life or death. Whether in life or death, that is remarkable, isn't it? Because that is connected with what he's previously said about his confidence in being delivered and not being ashamed. What he's saying is this, and this is where it really roots down to to our perspective of life today. In that situation, in a Roman jail, facing the prospect of the sword, Paul is able to say, I am confident of deliverance. Whether I die or whether I live. It doesn't matter, actually, whether the Roman sword sweeps through the air and takes off my head or whether I am freed to be able to come and to serve you. I am confident that I will be delivered. That is a radically different perspective on life, isn't it? Doesn't that change the way he views his life? It's a different idea altogether. I don't know that we would immediately think that, would we? What do we immediately think in terms of deliverance? Our immediate thought of deliverance is, I will be freed from this prison. And I will be able to go on my journey to wherever he was headed. I will be able to come and see you at Philippi. I'll be able to go to Rome. Whatever his thoughts are in terms of being able to be delivered and continue in his ministry. Yet Paul has, because of his confidence in Jesus, who has died and who has risen... He has a confidence that says, even if I die, I will still be delivered. Now, I want to encourage you just for a few minutes to think about what that means. It means that if we can really, really get a hold on that, if we can really take a hold of that idea and and drill it into our thinking, and drill it into our minds, and take a hold of it where we believe it to be life-changing for us today, it says this, that no matter what I face, I can have confidence that I will be delivered, I can have confidence that I will be vindicated, I can have confidence that I will be freed. Changes everything, doesn't it? It changes the way we see life now. Because we live life, and, and you know, the too fast to live, too young to die, cram it into life now, means that life is restricted to the lives that we live while we're breathing. The air of this world, and Paul says... Open your eyes. The idea that I have of life, 
the idea that Jesus introduced into this world of life is bigger than the immediate. It's more securing, it's more liberating than the now. It means that no matter what you face, no matter what I face, there can be a hope and a confidence beyond it. Because life is not about the moments of the beating heart within our bodies alone. Life, from the biblical perspective, from, the, from life within Jesus, is much bigger. He goes on to say, and, and, and perhaps this is, this, is very, very, this is at the center, really, of Paul's life. I would say that this is probably his mission statement in life. You know, this is what, if you could have one slogan on your t-shirt that would say, this is my life, what would it be? Because I think this is what Paul would have. He would have, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. For me to live is Christ. He sat in a Roman jail. And he's thinking, is that therefore saying, for me to live is about me carrying on my ministry? I don't think so. That is way too small. That is just, that is reducing the idea of what Paul is saying there to being just so small and so lacking in power and effectiveness. He's not saying, for me to live is for Christ. He's not saying, for me to live is to do things on behalf of Christ. He's not saying for me to live is for the benefit of Christ. He's saying for me to live, my life is Christ. He says that in a few other places in his letters. He says to the, uh, later on he says to the church, oh, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. He says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. But now you've been made alive. That's life. He says in Colossians, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, but God made alive, but God made us alive together with him. That's Paul's heartbeat of life. He's saying he understands he's come to terms with the idea that Jesus said, I have come to give you life. Do you realize, do you understand that you are dead, he says. You say, well, yeah, but I'm walking around and I'm, I'm fine and I'm breathing and I got up this morning and I'm here. You realize that outside of Christ, from Paul's perspective, from the message of the gospel, as Paul proclaims it here, he's saying, look, that's dead. Just living is dead. 
I've come alive in Christ, he says. Everything now about my life is just invigorated. Carries the the stream, carries the impact of Jesus. It means that every single thing that I do, I now do in the light of Jesus living in me. I have come to life. That's what he says. If you ever, those of you wear glasses or contact lenses or something like that, we were chatting about this the other day. You, you kind of get your, your new glasses or your contact lenses or you have this laser surgery. And, and this is the experience. If you've got great vision, you're privileged people. But you kind of, you put your glasses on, it's like, wow, I can see. <laughs> and, and you spend about a day just looking at all sorts of things. Everything that you can see, you just look at because you can see properly. Paul says, that's what my life has become. I now see it. I see life from a completely different perspective. Christ now lives and I live everything that I do. Every activity that I take part in is now driven and marked and shaped by Christ. I'm no longer living for the temporary. I'm living for the eternal. You know what? I'm not going to fizzle out. I'm not even going to go out with a bang. If a Roman sword swishes and takes off my head, I am not going out with a bang, with a too fast to live, too young to die kind of idea. That is not the end. That is just a transition. It's just a, a shift in this life that I now live because Christ lives in me. And he says this, Just to close, he says this. And you understand this? If I die, my life continues, but in a better way. To die is gain. How can dying be a gain? How can it be better to die? There is only one thing, only one thing that makes dying better. It takes away the separation between me and the living God in Jesus. That's why it's better. I get to see him. That's the only thing that makes life better. The only thing that can make dying something which Paul ends up in a quandary. Do I want to die? Do I want to live? Because if I die, there's something better. I don't know about you, but this is mind-blowing in terms of the way it changes our thinking of living now, doesn't it? Because Christ lives, I live, now. But even when I die, even when that final moment comes, it is simply a transition to something better that lasts eternally. That just reverses the whole idea of kind of trying to pack everything in life now.
because if you don't get it into life now, it's all going to be, you know, you're going to waste it. You're not going to have done the things you want to do. What's on your bucket list? What are the things that you want to do before you kick the bucket? It's just small fry. It's just nothing. There's an eternity which is going to be mind-blowingly superior to anything that we have ever done in this life if we believe in Jesus. It just doesn't even come close. That kind of thinking changes the way we live now. That means we can live in a Roman jail, figuratively speaking, and say, to die is gain. 